The Turning Point with Mike Fader. This is Mike Fader. Uh, I want to remind everybody that, uh, as I usually do, that uh, you can, if you want to get in touch with me or if you want to join my, um, my mailing list, uh, you can um, uh, go to my website, FaderFiles, F-E-D-E-R-F-I-L-E-S dot com, FaderFiles dot com, and there will be a way to reach out to me if you should wish to do so or make a comment on the program or suggest anything that you want. Also, the, um, once again, uh, when you go to the website, there are various pages there with photography, uh, poetry, there's a blog, so you can choose from whatever, something on the menu that appeals to you. Uh, today, we have a guest with us, uh, Bill Busenberg, who is the editorial director of a new website called PutinTrump.org. You there? 
Yes, I'm here. Hi. Okay, thanks for uh, hanging on there. We had a little technical difficulty earlier. Um, let me introduce you to people so they'll know who they're listening to. Is that okay? All right. Okay. Um, am I pronouncing your name right, correct? It's Busenberg. Busenberg. Okay, yep. Mr. Mr. Busenberg has been a journalist and newsroom leader for more than 45 years. From 2007 through 2015, he was the executive director of the Washington, D.C.-based Center for Public Integrity, which won the Pulitzer Prize for Investigative Journalism in 2014. And Mr. Busenberg was the vice president of NPR News for seven years, 1989-1997. Before that, an NPR foreign affairs correspondent for 11 years, and including three years as NPR's London bureau chief at the BBC. So this is a new website. It's called PutinTrump.org. Um, who are the creators? Who are the founders of this website? The website was created by uh, a digital entrepreneur named uh, Rob Glazer. He actually formed a, a super PAC to, to support this and believes this one issue is so serious and so dangerous that he wants to focus everything on it. And he brought me in, and then we have a, an editorial team, and we're producing it uh, with all the you know credibility that comes with journalism to, to focus on just this issue. Now, the, so the money essentially comes from Mr. Glazer and maybe some other people, uh, part of the right. thing? Yeah. Right, primarily him and some others who believe this issue is that serious. And, and Rob runs, uh, founded and runs Real Networks, and he was an early Microsoft uh, employee and entrepreneur, and so he's, he's uh, you know, able to do this. But again, it's, it's a team of journalists who run it uh, that I lead, and we're, you know, we're focused on this this uh, this issue, which we think is disqualifying all by itself. Yeah, all by itself, I would agree. Um, disqualifying in a in a world where there was sanity and uh, a responsible electorate. So um, who knows? Um, and the reason for creating the website uh, is should be obvious, but maybe you could give some examples for the reason why uh, you all felt that the website needed to be created and needs to be uh, looked at by people. Sure. Uh, I mean, it goes back to early Trump interviews. He started saying so many nice things about Vladimir Putin that uh, I couldn't understand that. And so I started looking into it. I feel like, you know, what's going on? You have to remember just the, the last time, four years ago, Romney was citing Putin as our number one adversary and, uh, you know, the thing we had to worry about the most. So the GOP in effect, in four years, has gone from he's number one to he's our friend. We mm -hmm. can work with him, nothing to worry about. And, and what this has done, of course, is rile, rile up our NATO allies. Imagine being in a Baltic state and being told that, ah, we might not defend you if you're invaded. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it all depends on whether you've paid up your dues into NATO. I mean, it's, it's really thrown a monkey wrench into the whole idea of the NATO alliance, which is... 70, 70 years old, and it used to be the consensus of both parties that this was a, a mainstay of our foreign policy. So I think looking at it from, and he's continued to say really nice things about Putin, and, you know, he's not worried about Crimea. He's not so sure we should have sanctions against Russia. So the issue has been, let's look behind that and find out some of the reasons why. And there is the uh, issue, of course, of his uh 
<clears throat> we'll start with one thing, is the uh, connection of his people in his campaign, um, not alleged connections, but actual connections of people in his campaign, uh, some of them who were more prominent, maybe less now, but still, these are open questions, right, with uh, connections with uh, Russian business. Right. There are just so many connections with Russian oligarchs to the, the Trump campaign. In fact, we think a lot of the money that's invested in Trump developments is coming from Russian oligarchs. It's certainly hmm. coming through Deutsche Bank, which is uh, sort of the bank of the Russian oligarchs. That appears to be in some trouble now, but there's clearly a financial connection. And then the staff, Trump's staff with Menfort and Page, these people were very much connected with uh, the former Soviet Union people, and and as we know, Manfort was paid something like twelve million dollars working in Ukraine. So you see the the connections with the people, you see the financial connections, uh, and you start seeing that this looks more like self interest and the interest of the people around Trump than it is anything to do with U.S. national interest, and that's that's what's so alarming. Now. As far as the business connections uh, with Trump, there's um, a couple of aspects to that. One is, of course, we have the recent revelation of his um, astounding tax deduction, the world, uh, his Olympic-winning uh, tax deduction, which, according to the Times, would enable him not to have to pay any taxes for 18 years. Part of his tax returns, and I don't, I don't remember exactly what the Times had or what they were publishing, but I think they didn't have it or else they would publish it. His connections, uh, uh, his business connections would be listed. If he's going to be listing such a tremendous loss, he would have to be listing uh, what his business losses were specifically, correct? That's right. There's, there's a whole lot we still don't know, and uh, I applaud the Times for what they did release, but we needed to see much more of his taxes and see, again, the Russian connections, the money that he's taken in, the loans that he has, and and all of that 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 would be in his full tax returns should they ever be released now what what sort of responses has he made uh, when there have been i mean uh, this is almost a rhetorical question considering his personality but what sort of responses has he made when people have pointed this out well he's tended himself to double down and and uh, you know profess to either kind of not know or, or, oh, no, no, I support NATO. Oh, sure. Uh, I wouldn't want to weaken NATO. Well, of course, he's done so many things to weaken it. I, I think a measure of this was interesting if you watched the vice presidential debate, mm -hmm. because there, Pence essentially took the normal uh, GOP line about Russia and worrying about Putin, and it was completely at odds, 180 degrees at odds with the leader of the, of the ticket. And, uh, and Pence sounded like a normal Republican worrying about the, the Russians. So, you know, they're trying to kind of have it both ways. On the one hand, gee, it's just standard fare. On the other hand, Trump has said nothing, nothing but good news, good things about, about Putin. And, and that relationship, again, which we, it looks like it's self-interest is involved and, mm -hmm. and the people around him. It's a, it's a tremendous conflict of interest. Well, now that's an actual conflict of interest. What's uh, a conflict of interest morally and ideologically is that this man, that this man is, uh, that Trump is praising somebody who is one of the great dictators in the modern world. Uh, there's a word that the Times is using these days because everybody's getting hysterical about the possible advent of Trump uh, to the presidency, but uh, the word thug. But Putin really is an ex-KGB 
uh, officer. And it, wasn't he the head of the KGB, too? He was. He was. He's a KGB person, and you still see that and feel that in all that he does. And, mm-hmm. you know, a skilled one. I mean, their propaganda efforts are much, much better than they ever used to be. This is not, uh, you know, a, a, a small adversary. It's a very large one. Mm-hmm. And we can see their, their effects around the world. And I'm, you know, it's amazing that, that Trump has gotten this far still not really renouncing Putin and renouncing Russia and doing that. He has not done that. Well, then you have to wonder why, of course. I mean, uh, one of the other things about Putin is that um, he's notorious for um, causing people who, in the press in Russia who disagree with him to uh, disappear. And uh, right. Trump has a certain attitude towards the press as well. Yeah, there, there does seem to be an affinity of authoritarians here, if you mm-hmm. can say it that way. And mm-hmm. That's a good way and, to you say you know, Putin has been supporting right-wing parties in Europe and you know, roiling the waters there for some time, and this is this fits right in with that. This is a, you know, this undermines stability. The the, the fact of Brexit and some of the right wing parties in, in France and Italy and now in the U.S. This is this this actually undercuts kinds of stability that we think of in the world, and and it's a, uh, it's really unprecedented that we have one candidate basically aligning himself uh, with. A, a dictator and with an adversary. Well, I mean, uh, <clears throat> could you, you know, the word fascist and the word Nazi has been thrown around a lot too much, too, uh, and it gets diluted, the effect of it after a while, just like the word thug or idiot. I mean, um, <laughs> the, the people who write on the editorial pages and the op-ed pages of the Times really are getting kind of carried away in their use of language and their... Um, hyperbole, but could you make, having said all that, could you make a, a connection here? It would it be as if um, there was a sort of a rogue uh, Republican running for, uh, who had been nominated by his party or else secured his party's nomination in the 30s praising Hitler? I mean, the only, the only high-level, not politician, but I suppose politician, diplomat that was praising Hitler and subsequently um, got a lot of flack for it was Joseph Kennedy at the time. But, uh, I mean, we've never experienced anything like this, as you mentioned, right? Well, this is sort of, you could say, Joseph Kennedy or Lindbergh at the time before Pearl Harbor. Right. Uh, there, were, there were many who thought this was the, the wave of the future, was what fascism represented. And uh, they obviously changed their tune when it became aggression and aggression against the United States. Uh, but it's a... You know, you don't have to go back and you don't have to use those kind of words to have to talk about. I use the authoritarian mm-hmm. and dictator words are, are exactly what we have. But the damage that this does in a global sense and to the, the stability that the U.S. has worked so hard for and the alliances worked so hard for, uh, in, including sanctions against Russian takeover of the Crimea in the Ukraine, the, just undermining all of that with these this loose talk that, you have to feel like, does he just not know what he's saying? Is he just not aware of foreign policy? Of course, he wasn't really aware that the Russians had invaded Crimea. He said they wouldn't do it. Of course, they were already there. So it's a, it's alarming and uh, and troubling, and clearly underneath it is this very, very big, I mean, I think it's it's hundreds of millions of dollars that he is 
had invested in his properties and into his developments by Russian oligarchs. Mm-hmm. So there's that, that financial self-interest is there, too. How much we can't say for sure until we see all the returns. Well, you did anticipate a comment uh, or question I was going to ask about. <clears throat> How much does uh, Trump really know? I mean, there are many areas where he seems to display um, an astounding depth and vastness, uh, breadth of ignorance about things. And, of course, it doesn't seem to bother the people who ardently support him. It doesn't seem to make any difference at all, which is another way of looking at the election here and, and looking looking at the electorate. But... Um, does he really know? I mean, you're not implying at PutinTrump.org uh, that uh, Trump has any kind of personal connection with Putin. This is all just business links that are maybe once removed. We're not saying that he's, you know, the two of them are personally linked. No, it doesn't have to be that at all. But financially linked to the country, financially linked with his staff between them, and linked in a policy sense. I mean, the policy proposals that he's articulating, removing sanctions and, you know, not really coming to the aid of the Baltic states, for example, these are absolutely Russian positions, not positions in the U.S. national interest. And I will say, yes, yes, Trump has a certain group that would support him no matter what he says uh, or does. But you have to point to lots of people who were the, the, the neocons before, Paul Wolfowitz or or the columnist George Will, many of these people are, they're in the national security field. They understand this, and they see this as incredibly alarming. So I think you have a lot of Republicans or independents, and certainly Democrats, but people who see this as an issue that really would change the, change the world mm-hmm. if it happened. And what we decided to do with PutinTrump.org was to set out to do a site that pulls together all of the information around this and and help if I'm a you know used to be the idea of a, a moderate Republican, make them aware of how much this issue is damaging and what it does. And and pulling so, together every article and doing our own analyses and finding our own stories to put together around that one issue. So when you mention moderate Republicans, um, do you, by the way, we are uh, you're listening to Bill Busenberg, who's the editorial director of a new website called PutinTrump.org which uh, says it all right there. Um, so what is your, you mentioned moderate Republicans. You do have the idea of, an idea of your target audience here for this website, right? That's exactly who we, we, we pitched it toward. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just to point out, uh, there's so many issues and, of course, so many lies every day. I think we're, we're all drinking from a fire hose of information. Of, but we decided to focus just on this and the damage that this does and how dangerous this is. This is a really serious issue that, that Trump has sidled up to Putin and is essentially espousing Russian national interests, not U.S. national interests. And we know that there are lots and lots of you know, people in the GOP, independents, and, and Democrats who are alarmed by this issue and realize what would happen if Trump won, mm-hmm. what kind of damage this might do in this area, in national security. I mean... He, by himself, is a national security risk. And I think that is what we're trying to do with the website. Now, uh, we can't know what's in Putin's mind, but he has to be, um, in his own perverse way and in his own um, chess master, KGB, ex-KGB way, he must be delighted by Trump's um, presence in the presidential race, right? You think? 
I think so. I think uh, the fact that it's, it's, it makes our democracy look shabby. And we haven't even mentioned, by the way, the cyber hacking by yeah, I was Russian gonna, I was gonna bring sources that up. Yeah. Uh, into the Democratic National Committee. And now 20-some state electoral systems have been hacked by these same Russian sources. So we have we have someone undermining our election, uh, and and which is which is undermining of democracy. Yes, I think Putin is delighted by that. Hmm. He's delighted by the instability that this raises, and and how we look in the world. Uh, this is nothing but an upside for him. Uh, whether Trump wins or loses, it's it's roiling of of of, of NATO, of the alliance, of of allies, of faith in the United States. Clearly, hmm. so this is a. I think it's already a very big win for him, and who knows what the actual effects of some of this cyber hacking are going to be, and we all expect more things to be coming out and more of an October surprise of various kinds. I mean, this is what is so unprecedented that I think people haven't quite focused on. We have a foreign power interfering in our election, and one side is saying, great, come on, do some more hacking. Hmm. No problem there. Or maybe it's not the Russians, is what Trump has also said in the last debate. Gee, it may be somebody else, the, the 400-pound 400 guy pounds. on his yeah. couch. So <laughs> he, is, he is clearly, clearly, I mean, every national security, reputable source has, has, has pointed to the Russians as behind this. They understand that. They know the signature. They mm-hmm. know what's happening. And the fact that he can't say that, he can't even suggest that, oh, yeah, maybe they are interfering in the election, and maybe that's not a good idea. He never says that. Never says that. So it all, and it, I, I'm sorry. So it all seems to, from what I'm hearing you say, is it all seems to come back all the time to the bottom line, right? Yeah, I, I think we all know that Trump is about Trump. Trump is about money. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you sometimes think his campaign was started as a branding, you know, branding enhancement. Oh, I think and, so. And financial enhancement, and I think it comes down to his financial bottom line is is very much linked with Russian oligarchs. We just don't know how much or, or who exactly, because we can't see all of the tax returns yet. Well, but, I mean, uh, if, the, anyway. if, the, if these, uh, as you mentioned, the Deutsche Bank, and if, you, if, if the people who invested, uh, like Russian oligarchs who invested in various of his um, schemes or man- manic eruptions or business events, uh, whatever you want to call them, um, if they demanded their money back, he might be in line for another gigantic uh, tax deduction, right? Because he, he really wouldn't yeah. have you know, he wouldn't have the money to pay it back. All he's got is his mouth and some old stakes. You know, as far yeah. as I can tell. Yeah, no, he would be in trouble. He is he is dependent on those on that those sources of money. And you know, he used to get American banks to support his business ventures, but that is no longer the case. No major American bank will support him. They've seen six bankruptcies. They're just not going to do it. The one he's left with is Deutsche Bank, which by itself has its own problems and has to pay a large fine to the U.S. government, which it's having trouble with. Mm-hmm. So that was the bank that was considered the Russian oligarch bank in the world, and that's where he also had some of his loans. So the, the, the connections directly to Russia and Russian oligarchs are pretty clear. And clearly, uh, when speaking of what's pretty clear, is what's pretty clear is that he has absolutely no sense of history whatsoever. Who was it who said that he had never, he had been with him for a year or two, writing his memoir, and never see him pick up a book? You know, um, right. He, that mean, was the, Schwartz and his, and his The Art of the Deal. Yeah. And yeah, he, he clearly is not a student of history. 
And uh, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, he's made he's made many trips to the the former Soviet Union to Russia. That's where his Miss Universe pageant contest was held, huh. and he got investment in there. He was trying to build buildings there and and get investment. So he's he's had an aspiration that you know he wants to wants to deal in Russia, and 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 make money in Russia. And he's worked at that. He he wanted to meet Putin very clearly and and made an effort to do that. So this is uh, this is a guy who has. I just I just think there are a lot of shady people that he's been dealing with, mm-hmm. and this is we don't know the extent of it, we don't know the amount of it, we don't know all the names, but the fact of it is is there. Well, certainly it would dilute Putin's power if he were to actually meet the uh, the actual candidate. I mean, he's it's much better to him be pulling strings like this and have the candidate, uh, you know display all his antics from a distance for him to meet with him would give him a certain would give trump a certain gravitas uh which i don't think putin really wants him to have he enjoys it that he's a clown yeah mm-hmm. yeah i know the the words putin used to describe trump trump interprets them as saying brilliant he thinks i'm brilliant the words that russians would say the interpretation would be he's colorful and trump is indeed colorful so it's a uh, even there, it's it's he's he's misinterpreting uh, just how much Putin thinks he's uh, he's so smart. Yeah, I met a woman the other day, <clears throat> a very intelligent woman. She's uh, approximately sixty years old, and she's visiting for uh, several months on a research fellowship from Germany. And um, she asked me, <laughs> I said, don't, "Don't don't put this on me." But she asked me. Uh, it was sort of a question and a statement. She said, people in Germany, and they're all worried about their nationalist parties, you know, uh, in Europe, too. Right. And she said, and she's something of a liberal. And uh, I'm guessing, I mean, you're the, foreign car, the, the ex-foreign correspondent, so I wanted to get your opinion about this. Uh, my feeling about uh, the European liberals I've met, are they more like American leftists? You know, they really, they, first of all, Europeans seem to know a lot more about uh, their political system and their politicians than Americans ever do. And she was asking me uh, and expressing astonishment and saying that most people in her country who weren't nationalist party people are expressing astonishment, and most people in Europe, for that matter, that Trump could have gotten so far. And they are, in Europe, terrified about this for the reasons of nationalism. No American can go anywhere in the world and not be accosted by people in other countries saying, what are you doing? What have you done? And that's usually followed by, don't you realize this could wreck the world system as we know it, that what you're doing? So there is, there is tremendous alarm. Uh, you know, you, you talk about the, the right-wing parties in, it's in, in, like, France, Marie Le Pen, and, and Lafarge, and the UKIP party in the UK. I mean, these are, these are unstabilizing groups that, that, that Putin has been supporting. And, and they're alarmed in their own countries about them. That lest they grow and become even more powerful, but mm-hmm. then to see it leap across the Atlantic and and be one of the major parties, not not a third rank party, not a fourth rank party, but you know one of the two major parties in the United States is very alarming for people around the world. And they, they don't they can see the damage that this could produce. They don't make the distinctions that people here are making between uh, the troubles, the divisions between the normal republic quote unquote normal Republican Party and their uh, current. Uh, strange candidate. They don't. They don't make those distinctions. It's just that all they see is a major candidate for a major party, right? 
Right. They don't see how far outside the, the mainstream this is in even the United States context. Mm-hmm. Again, go back to, to Romney, which was still a, you know, pointing to Russia as our primary adversary versus this year when, when, when Trump seems to be just, you know, he's not an adversary at all. Why? He's just can be one of our friends and uh, mm-hmm. we don't have to worry about it. And this, this is, to the extent that's being people buy into that, it's just extremely dangerous. Well, once again, I <clears throat> I don't think uh, that Trump really has much idea what's going on, and he is protecting his business interests. But uh, is there anything else on the website that we haven't talked about that you wanted to mention? PutinTrump.org. Well, you can read all of the opinion pieces that are being written from all over, and there are many, many of those. There's also news articles. It seems like we find another seven, eight, nine news articles or videos or things every day or political cartoons that we're posting and, mm-hmm. and then writing our own analyses based on the debates and, and, and the information we're getting. So there's, there's a lot there. Uh, it's very, even though it's only been up a few short months, it's a very deep website and, and worth a look. And again, it's focused just on this one issue and, and with a lot of clarity and I think suggesting how dangerous this is. So it's a focused site on, and, you know, take a look, PutinTrump.org. All right. Thank you very much. This is Bill Busenberg, uh, editorial director of PutinTrump.org, PutinTrump.org. And um, take a look at this site. This is something you need to know about. And I will, uh, you know, I will uh, get on my horse and, uh, you know, uh, ring the bell and say that, uh, you know, the Russians are coming uh, any place I can because uh, you're right. This is the most extraordinarily dangerous thing of all, especially when you think about what the Russians have done before and what they're doing right now in any any country that surrounds them, especially in Eastern Europe. So, well, Mike, thank you for that, and yeah. thank you for the interview. I think uh, I think it's important, and I'm glad to have a, a light shine on it. Thank you. Okay, thanks a lot. Okay. Uh, um, okay, we're uh, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back in a little bit. Okay, we're back. So that's PutinTrump.org, and you have to really wonder, uh, well, I guess you don't have to wonder so much, clearly what uh, Mr. Busenberg was saying here, the editorial director of Putin Trump, of Putin Trump, I keep mispronouncing it, PutinTrump.org, 
is that <clears throat> it's the business connections that uh, Trump probably, you know, he's perverse and he's ignorant and sometimes just plain crazy and manic. But uh, he wouldn't be so welcoming and so uh, praiseworthy of Putin and the Russians who are extremely dangerous, as everybody in the world with a half a brain knows, uh, and who are, you know, uh, basically just old-fashioned. Now, Putin is an old-fashioned dictator, and his, his uh, pals, the oligarchs, uh, the uh, billionaires and multi-billionaires who run Russia, basically it's like a huge mafia. Russia is really like a gigantic mafia uh, organization, and Putin is the uh, boss of bosses, and the oligarch the oligarchs there are the uh you know the uh the sub bosses they have their own uh, crews and their own gangs and for donald trump to be praising putin is uh nuts and um also it's a sign of his stupidity uh he doesn't seem to understand how much uh, putin thinks that he's a clown trump i mean uh if he thinks that by praising Putin and talking about how Putin is um, in any way, you know, uh, good for Russia or good for the world or he's been a great leader. What does he call him? A great leader or a wonderful leader? I think Pence said that, too. Didn't Pence say that? Uh, Mr. Busenberg earlier, Busenberg was saying that uh, Pence was towing the usual and expected uh, anti-Russian line, uh, which is a good idea in the world, considering the way Russia is. Um, Pence was towing that line. But I, don't, I thought I remembered uh, Mr. Kane in his nudgy, interrupting way, <laughs> uh, pointing out that Mr., um, Mr. Pence had said also, or agreed with the fact that when Trump said uh, Putin was a great leader. This whole idea of uh, Trump praising Putin is a sad sort of infantile and scary, dangerous part at the same time about Trump, that if he thinks that he kisses Putin's ass and praises him in public, uh, despite the fact that he's just perverse and does these things anyhow, that Putin will somehow favor him. And Putin's friends, and this is more to the point, more to the bottom line, that Putin's friends who have loaned all the money through the Deutsche Bank, possibly, and that's where the Russian uh, oligarch money was invested and is invested, that Putin's uh, friends will, uh, will see t Trump more favorably and either forgive his debts because you can tell that there's another, you can just smell <laughs> that there's another gigantic bankruptcy coming um, soon for, uh, for Trump. And I wonder if he actually has paid any taxes at all in the last... Uh, the New York Times uh, article that I'm sure most of you are familiar with right now, but where he took a 900, I think it's 916 million dollar deduction, and uh, I noticed Trump, you know, I noticed that, uh, and and the Times was saying that this would enable him not to pay any taxes for the next 18 years after that. That was in 1995, and I doubt if it ever did come out if he ever has the you know, the backbone or the guts uh, uh, to actually release his taxes. He just keeps lying and saying uh, when an audit is done, when the IRS, I mean, he could release his taxes anytime he wants. And uh, this is something I think that's a, a good thing, that politicians who are running for office and running for high office should be releasing their taxes, that we should all know where their money comes from, what their business interests are, 
what charitable deductions they made, what their foundations uh, granted money to. We should all understand this, and we should all know this. They have a responsibility to do this. And, um, of course, all this talk about Trump, and I'll get back to him and Pence and Pence and Cain in a minute, all this talk about Trump, of course, makes not the slightest bit of difference. Here, Mr. Busenberg was telling me that they set up this PutinTrump.org uh, website, which you should check out. It's a very interesting website. I uh, strongly advise it. Um, they set it up, as a, and they target moderate Republicans. They want people who are Republicans uh, and who are traditional Republicans, who are moderate Republicans, and would have voted for somebody, let's say, like Romney, or uh, you know other candidates of, of his ilk in the in recent history, they they want people to see how just how awful Trump is by his business connections and his other connections to Russia, and they will lay out how Russia has treated in its uh, violent, vicious way. I mean, if you read uh, any history, and I'm reading a historical novel now based on some um, some depth of historical um, research. If you read any history of Russia and its relationship to the, uh, to the Eastern European states after uh, World War II, after the Russians took over and <clears throat> didn't back out, left troops uh, in Eastern Europe, various places. Um, and we're talking about Poland, we're talking about Czechoslovakia, and we're talking especially about places like Hungary um, and East Germany, where they trained the secret police, where they had Russian troops available at any time. In 1956, where the Russian tanks came in and, um, and killed thousands and thousands of people who were, uh, who were, who were in a revolution against the uh, communist, the dictatorial communist government of Hungary. Anybody who understands history knows what the Russians have been like, not just internally, where they murder journalists, where they lock up and kill people, where they send people to Siberia, where people are disappeared, where they're poisoned, where they're shot, where they just disappear entirely for expressing any kind of um, joining any group, even going out to a demonstration against the current government. Putin is no different than Peter the Great or Stalin. He is, it's all in his genes. It's in his Russian genes. It's in his blood. Um, he is uh, a murderous, dangerous, scary dictator. And um, I guess because Trump needs uh, the approval of Putin and his pals to keep his business interests going, that's the other, you know, that's what he keeps doing all the time. Um, and Europeans really are scared. I mean, I did talk to this woman from Germany, as I mentioned before, and she's an extremely intelligent woman. I guess you would call her a liberal, uh, and she defines herself as a liberal over in Germany. Um, she said all these nationalist groups, I mean, they have fascist, nationalist fascist movements over there, and, you know, the politics are complicated. I can't uh, describe what goes on in, in, uh, in various European countries in any great depth. But they have had, and you know, they have a history of these fascist movements going all the way back to uh, the 20s, the 30s, and um, with the uh, with the outcome that we're all aware of. Uh, now, uh, a lot of this is being fueled by the uh, the problem with uh, with migrants and uh, with people coming in, uh, taking up a lot of the. Uh, it's a similar kind of nationalism to the the, the nationalism. 
that Trump is stirring up, where uh, immigrants are, you know, illegal immigrants are uh, clogging up uh, the health system. They're clogging up. Uh, they're clogging up the educational system. They're not paying taxes. They're stealing jobs from from legitimate quote unquote Americans. And um, not only that, they are uh, you know since they are poor, a lot of crime comes out of poor neighborhoods. And this is the way poverty and crime are inevitably, inextricably linked. That's the way it is. So this kind of nationalism that Trump is, uh, is uh, pounding away at and that his party is, uh, you know, the people who back him, I shouldn't say his party, but the people who back him in his party, the electorate, the, the Trump followers, the Trump, uh, I can't call them a basket of deplorables. That was a stupid thing that Hillary Clinton said. But these people who are to put it charitably, who are scared about their country, scared about their jobs, and people who uh, aren't necessarily just lower middle class, but they are worried about the direction of the country. They are truly worried about it. Um, so it's not like Trump is um, is saying things that are, I mean, yeah, he's saying plenty of things that are outrageous and ridiculous and scary. But once again, he is expressing things that a lot of people believe and a lot of people feel, and not just people who are right-wingers or what Hillary Clinton would say if she you know, you woke Hillary Clinton up in the middle of the night. She said, "What do you think of these real? What do you really think of these people?" It's so like what Obama said that one time. You know, they're they're clinging to their guns, they're clinging to their Bibles, they're clinging to their racism. A lot of these people. Uh, really are that way, but they're also scared and they have legitimate reasons. Is there anybody listening to me right now who considers themselves liberal, who isn't scared uh, and isn't upset or irritated if they're in any way involved in the public education or the public health system or, uh, or you know, something like that, who isn't worried uh, and or sometimes irritated or angry that there are so many people from other countries who are here illegally, who are jamming up these, uh, these systems that don't work as well anymore. Now, these aren't the only reasons. And is that racist? Maybe, maybe it is racist to think that. But that's the way a lot of um, Trump, uh, Trump believers and Trump followers feel. They feel that way. Um, so I watched the presidential debate, the vice presidential debate the other night. I'm wondering how many people watch that. I know a lot of people are sick of it already. <clears throat> and I'm sick of the whole thing, too. I mean, I wish the election was tomorrow or Monday or Tuesday. I mean, I'm tired of uh, all the back and forth and all the yelling and screaming and all the insults. The insult, every, it seems like every day that this, um, that this campaign goes on, that this election campaign goes on and this contest goes on, <clears throat> that there are more and more um, whatever remains of uh, civil behavior, of respect for other people, um, just gets diminished to the point where it practically doesn't exist anymore. And um, I expected to see, um, you know, with Trump and with uh, Pence and Kane, I think we all expected to see two, quote-unquote, um, at least on their uh, surface behavior, especially in, a, uh, in the case of Pence, who has done some pretty bad things in Indiana, we expected to see two decent guys, two nice guys, um, uh, and maybe we even expected to see them agreeing with each other. But it was strange to see um, uh, Kane and Pence trading all these insults. And I think that's what, that's what was encouraged. You know, the, the, 
people people who are the vice presidential candidates, they don't just pop up and say um, anything they damn well feel like. They're coached to do this. They're, uh, you know, they're, uh, they're told this is how we want you to behave. If you turn the sound off, you watch this. Did you watch the, uh, the, the vice presidential debate? If you turn the sound off, um, you, would, uh, <clears throat> you would see uh, two men. And one of them does not look. You know, remember uh, Trump said that uh, during this debate with Hillary Clinton, she doesn't look presidential. She doesn't look presidential, by which I'm uh, taking it for granted. He means she's a woman. And as I, as I mentioned the other day about the uh, presidential debate, she's an old woman. Not only is she a woman, but she's an old woman. She doesn't look presidential because she's a woman. How could a woman look presidential? This is the United States of America which was created by men, which was built, uh, you know, uh, its great industries and its political systems, uh, essentially a patriarchy. This is a place where women, uh, you know, had uh, to get out on the street and to risk being beaten up and even killed by cops to uh, get their right to vote. This is a place where women's rights have been bought at an extremely dear price. But uh, when, if you turn off the sound and you look at, um, if you looked at uh, Trump and you looked at Clinton, who looked more presidential? I would say that uh, that uh, Hillary Clinton looked more presidential and Trump didn't. And since it's all about style, since everything is about style and very little is about content these days, um, you could do very well every once in a while to turn off the sound on these debates, although. It is. Uh, it's. It was more fun to to leave the sound on and hear uh, Trump say these absurd, ridiculous things. Also, in that re- horrible way he has of speaking, that kind of babyish, neat, deep, dare I say it, girlish way he has of speaking. Mister Testosterone has a kind of a girlish manner. <laughs> I mean, womanish. I mean, sort of girlish manner. People talk about him like he's an adolescent or a teenager who's not really under control. To me, he seems more like an adolescent female than an adolescent male. There's something very, um, it's not a bad thing, not a bad thing, but he seems very feminine. And of course, the the contradiction and the strangeness is is because he makes such a big thing at being such a a big man, quote unquote, you know, um, surrounds himself with all these... um, with all these supermodel types and uh, all the women in his family, even his daughter, have a certain, um, you know, uh, classic uh, American, almost Miss Universe, um, Miss America, uh, you know, appearance to, to, to the way they dress and the way they look and um, a certain sexuality of a type that uh, is admired by a lot of Americans or a lot of American men, anyhow. Um, the same thing happened with Pence and Kane. A couple of times I turned the sound off, and I have to say, and this is getting around to a point where I want to admit something here about my own sexism. Um, I was I was noticing that Pence looked to me he looked more presidential, and since everything is about style and not about content anymore, if you listen to Kane, he was saying things that are important. He was saying them over and over again, and he was repeating himself. He began to sound like a kind of a irritating parrot. But uh, And he was coached to do it. I don't believe that uh, he was just said, okay, Tim, you go up there and say whatever you want in any way you want. These people, these campaigns spent hundreds of thousands, nay, millions of dollars on this kind of thing. They spend millions of dollars 
um, with focus groups and polling people and uh, when they have somebody who's going to appear in public or when they make a speech even in a local place, certainly in a national debate, they are supposed to sound a certain way. They are told, they are coached based on tremendous amount of research and what people want to hear and who's watching and what the, audi- what the audience is and who the target audience is. They are coached on how to speak and what to speak about. So there's the content and the style. Kane was making a mistake, I think. Kane was making a mistake. But he has to keep making it. And what do I mean by that? I mean that he kept bringing up the, uh, the content of Trump's uh, contradictions, of Trump's lies, of his exaggerations, of his misdeeds, of his uh, probable crimes that he's committed, the various frauds and uh, defrauding of uh, people like Trump University and other people who've been involved with him in business ways. And he was bringing up the taxes over and over again. So these are important things for him to bring up. And Pence was just um, denying that they even existed. Whatever Keynes said that Trump said, Pence said, Nah, I don't think he said that. No, I, you misheard that. No, he never said that. He just sat there and lied. <laughs> he just sat there and lied and denied it and then diverted it back to Hillary Clinton, which is a, a debating technique, of course. But back to this turning off the TV and all style and no content, even with the, even with the sound on, Trump, uh, Pence, looked presidential. He looked, he looked presidential and... Um, he, um, and what do I mean by that? He looked presidential because he was, he's got that, now here's where, here's where the sexism overlaps. And now I'm, I'm 70 years old and uh, come from a certain generation where we uh, only knew, just like we only know right now, that the president of the United States, when I say the president of the United States, what's the first thing that comes into your mind? Um, the, the first thing that comes into your mind is that, um, that's a masculine um, definition. The president of the United States, if I say, if I were to say the mayor of a certain city and times have changed, you might think, well, I mean, who might that be? You know, have we ever had a, we never had a mayor of New York who was a woman. If you say the governor uh, or if you say senator, in the modern world in the last 10, 20 years, this is changing. This is changing. You think of uh, you know, if somebody says senator, uh, somebody from Wisconsin or Congress, uh, you know, well, then in that case, it's a congresswoman. But if they say the senator from Wisconsin, senator so-and-so or governor so-and-so, it's very likely to be a woman. And so there's been a cultural change in perception. We understand that this could be a woman. But if I say the president of the United States, or, you know, the interest. Ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States, you expect to see a man walk out and walk up to the rostrum. So, now, and I'm speaking, once again, I'll say it from my generational point of view. I don't know how it is with my kids. My kids are in their early to mid-30s, and um, they don't have this point of view. They grew up during a time when they, they got to be adults during a time uh, and politically aware during a time when women did have uh, more and more of these jobs and were the uh, CEOs of corporations, uh, where uh, when uh, my son, who's a lawyer, when he was in law school, half the uh, students in law school, or more than half, uh, were women. And my daughter, uh, in various places she's worked, foundations and, 
and other places where she's done um, speech writing and other things that she's done in her life. And she uh, went to uh, get a master's in journalism at a famous school that has master's in journalism programs. More and more women all the time. But still, the last barrier is president of the United States. So when Trump says that, um, when, I, when I say that Pence looked more presidential, what do I mean by that? He looked rugged. He looked manly. He looked calm. He, um, he looked like he could handle any kind of dangerous situation. He even looks uh, physically like he can handle any dangerous situation. He a, he's a, looks like a big, solid guy. And to me, and maybe to a lot of other people, to men and women, whether they're liberal or conservative, he does look presidential. And I think a lot of people mentioned that. A lot of people did mention that. They said... Um, that the man looked presidential, and Cain did not look presidential. Uh, he looked like uh, he looked vice presidential. <laughs> he looked he looked like a terrific number two, a guy who would be intelligent and uh, who would give good advice to the uh, whoever the president was. So I'm thinking I had to question myself after that when I thought, well, you know, uh, Pence looks more presidential. If that was Hillary Clinton sitting there, and I had the sound turned off, well, that was Hillary Clinton. Uh, sitting there, even if I had the sound turned on, would I have thought in my 70-year-old, uh, um, you know, uh, 50s, you know, World War II, 50s uh, generational point of view, would I have thought that she looks presidential? I don't know. Would I have thought that she looks presidential? Um, I think, uh, without beating around, uh, you know, the old, uh, the old bush here too much anymore, uh, I think... Men my age uh, have an attitude about uh, about sexism, which is uh, something that doesn't just disappear. It just doesn't go away. It's something that uh, you're brought up with. It's something we were all brought up with, that heroes were men. Uh, stuff you're brought up when you're a kid never disappears. It's in your bloodstreams and your bones. And it is difficult for me to imagine Hillary Clinton as president of the United States, not because of her qualifications, not because of her intelligence. She's much more intelligent than Trump. Uh, now, this is putting aside the fact that I would much rather have had Sanders, you know, much rather have Sanders. But um, it is difficult for me, and I think it's generational, and I think it's, it's hard to imagine uh, a woman being the president of the United States. In Europe, uh, this is something that they've been dealing with for a while over there, uh, the most powerful um, um, leader of the most powerful country economically and in other ways in Europe is Angela Merkel. And uh, people are used to that now. And uh, they had Margaret Thatcher over in England. But America, which is extremely conservative and backward in these matters, um, still cannot picture or imagine a woman being president of the United States. I think... Uh, now, people have mentioned this before. Just because she's a woman doesn't mean that she should uh, get elected just because she's a woman. And yet, in a way, it would be she's an intelligent woman. She's had plenty of governmental experience. It would be quite extraordinary, and it would be an important obstacle to overcome. It would be a tremendous frontier to, uh, to finally uh, breach, to have a woman be the president of the United States. And I think that uh, the same way that people felt thrilled and overwhelmed for historical reasons when a black man became 
the resident of the White House, uh, I think that uh, it would be an extraordinary thing to see somebody say, ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States, and have a woman walk out and up to the rostrum. I really believe that. So I, I did experience that all my own sense of uh, sexism when I was watching Pence and thinking, yes, he looks more manly and thus he looks more presidential. Um, these things are all roiling around in all of us and it is, like I say, generational. I'm sure my kids and anybody in their 30s and 20s doesn't really think this way <clears throat> because of the way they were brought up and the way the culture and uh, the way politics have changed. That's just the way it is. Well, uh, there is another issue I wanted to deal with, which I may, which I may do. I guess I will do it next week because it's complicated. It's about all this political correctness on campus. Uh, there are courses now in learning how not to offend on college campuses, uh, courses in like almost um, forced diversity, and how uh, language uh, has to be policed, and how people are not supposed to be offending in a million different ways, and. Um, this is something I want to talk about, uh, this whole idea of political correctness on, uh, on campus. Okay, that's it for today, and uh, we'll be back uh, next week. Fire and the fury and 